0: Hello and welcome to the ESG Fitness Podcast. The aim of this podcast is to help you think, learn and grow and hopefully smile and laugh on the way too. My aim here is to break down your barriers to taking action and provide you with evidence-based diet and exercise information in a fun and interesting way. I hope I nail that and I hope you enjoy. If at any point you are enjoying this and you think, great to work with Emma, you can head to esgfitness.co.uk to find out more information. Without further ado, because I hate long introductions, here is this episode. Hello and welcome to this... Ep- oh wait, I don't need to do this anymore, do I? Because I've made a little intro thing. Okay, well here we are. Uh, today's episode is on fasting and it it made me think actually I have been talking a lot about mindset which I think is very important I've been talking a lot about decisions which again I think is really important and I hope people have been enjoying that but I haven't done a lot of like direct diet-y science-y stuff for a while so a very common question that I get asked about is what what are your thoughts on fasting don't know why I said it like that But as we know, I don't edit these. So what are your thoughts on fasting, intermittent fasting, time-restricted feeding, whatever you want to call it? Now, this may surprise you. I actually quite like intermittent fasting. The reason I don't talk about it that much is because I think it's very easy for people to, whether you mean it or not, see what you do and think that's what they should do. And that's why I actually don't share that much of, for example, my training, which nobody else should do because it's very restricted. Or the way that I like to eat, because, again, like my preferences are very different than other people's. And I guess that's the crux of the problem with these. Um, what are they called? What I eat in a day kind of posts. So I like intermittent fasting. But I do want to be clear here It is not necessarily better for fat loss and it may actually be worse or it may actually be a very good approach for you. It kind of depends. And hopefully by the end of listening to this episode, you will have decided whether it's something you want to try or not. And again, remember, you don't have to, what do they say? Tie your hat to the pole, tie your flag to the pole. I don't know, whatever. Put your stick in the ground. You can change your approach to dieting. You can be like, I'm going to try fasting and I'm going to see... How I feel and if I enjoy it. And then after I've given it a go, and this is the point I would make about whatever you're trying, don't be like, I'm going to try it for two days. Like, commit to a period of time. I would suggest at least 30 days, but I mean, two weeks is a good start. And then decide, assuming that you don't have any like crazy adverse side effects. Essentially, do it for long enough to know if it's actually working or not, or for you to get into a bit of a routine before you decide that it's not working. Okay, so. Some of the potential or proposed benefits to intermittent fasting are increased weight loss, improved health markers, including lowered blood pressure, improved blood glucose control, improved cognitive function. Um, this all sounds great, but the question is, or one of the big questions, there are many big questions, but one of the big questions is, does this exist independently of your... Like, it, if does this, does this exist independently of A, weight loss, or B, a matched calorie deficit? So if I was creating a calorie deficit via fasting, would that be superior than simply creating the same size of deficit via not fasting and eating more frequently? So this part is a little bit more debatable. And there's some really interesting research here. And I will say, firstly, just to like reiterate this point, you still cannot lose fat without creating a deficit. And the reason that some people think that you can is because they might say, oh, you know, I fast and I actually don't eat any less. If you're losing weight, you do eat less. Like you are eating less. That's why you're losing weight. But and what's interesting about this and and actually we should read into a little bit is... If if you don't think that you're eating less, it makes it a lot easier to stick to your diet, right? A lot of people say this about low-carb as well. We know, and you'll get the same people preaching, adherence is the most important thing, and then dissing low-carb diets outright and saying they're completely stupid, or saying intermittent fasting is completely stupid, even though you're getting people saying, I'm losing weight without lowering my calories. Now, technically they're wrong, but actually... If they're not feeling restricted, if they don't feel like they're restricting their food intake, fat loss is their goal and they're losing weight, hey, that sounds pretty damn good to me. Back to the benefits of fasting or the potential extra benefits of fasting. So there is some research that supports improved glucose control and liver health. And there is some tentative evidence, or actually I wouldn't even go so far as to say evidence, um, mechanistic rationale for reductions in dementia. Now, the glucose control and liver health improvements are probably due to the body not being in this state, this constantly fed state effectively. So constantly exposed to elevated levels of blood glucose, which also means elevated insulin levels, if, if your um, body is working correctly, and higher Higher state of inflammation, so inflammatory markers will be higher in a fed state. Because when we eat, we then digest and break down food, and it seems to be beneficial and actually, from a rational, like, logical point of view, kind of makes sense to have these periods where you're not eating so that your body can function when it's not constantly under those demands of digestion the whole time. It's also likely that we've well we know that we've evolved to be able to manage long-ish periods without food so we've been able to we are able even to manage very tight glucose regulation between meals so if you don't have a meal for a period of time you don't go into hypoglycemia your body produces or breaks down some glycogen into glucose so that your blood glucose levels stay in a healthy safe range which means that we can go for hours, maybe even days in some cases, without eating and still manage to maintain this level of blood glucose. And now that I'm saying that, that maybe there's potentially something in the refractory period of muscle protein synthesis as well. So we know that ideally you would stimulate muscle protein synthesis via eating some protein, Every two to three hours because it takes that long for the peak of muscle protein synthesis to return to the baseline to then be peaked again. That is probably a good gauge of we maybe shouldn't be constantly eating because there are numerous elements of our physiology which don't aren't really conducive to constantly eating. And research has shown that, that mice who have constant access to food and who constantly eat food are less healthy than mice who have a time-restricted period at which they can eat, even if the calorie intake is the same. And they were measuring things like insulin sensitivity, blood glucose regulation, and certain markers of liver health, I believe. Now, in the real world, because we are not mice, and actually some of this data can't be directly um translated I think I'm not going to go into this today and I'm going to be completely honest as to why there is a lot of research on fasting and longevity some of it is so fascinating and I genuinely haven't quite got my head around all of it yet and a lot of this stuff obviously because actually longevity is quite a hard thing to study in humans because you're looking at how long someone lives And be quite hard to, you know, do a study where you're fasting someone for their whole life or, you know, intermittently for their whole life versus someone else who isn't fasting um, and how well you can control that study. Anyway, basically, we don't have the research to support it in humans. And we know that, for example, mice have a different circadian rhythm than humans do. And that's very important. And a lot of this has been done, I believe, on worms which again are, if you're unaware, slightly different on a physiological level to humans. Doesn't mean that we throw all of it out, but it does mean that it's probably not directly translatable. And the research on primates, so monkeys, um, doesn't seem to be completely uh, conducive. Conducive? Uh, Conclusive is the word that I'm looking for. So anyway, I will park the longevity thing. And I actually might have Hannah Ritchie on to talk about that because we've both looked into it quite a lot. And <laughs> we've both been, like, at certain points. Do you know what it reminds me of a little bit? If, has anyone watched? And I actually haven't watched this, but anyone I've, surprisingly enough, i have not watched something. Why would I then bring it up on the podcast? I don't know, but here we are. If anyone has watched the Madeleine McCann documentary, anyone I've spoken to about it has said that you know at one point they were like oh they definitely did it and at another point they were like no they definitely didn't and then they were like yes 100% they did and then they finished they were like I don't know that's what I feel like with the fasting and longevity at certain points I'm like definitely caloric restriction and fasting increases lifespan and then at other points I'm like But does it in humans? What do we know about this? And then, yeah, anyway, I go back and forward around it. I will come up to, come up to? I will come to a decision. And I will, at some point, succinctly present the arguments so that you can all come to your own conclusions as well. But now I'm going to move on to this. So, fasting in the real world, I would imagine that some of these benefits that we see in mice are translatable to humans and some of the benefits I have experienced not the not that I can tell that my liver health has improved or anything but I mean constantly eating or snacking or picking can obviously a make calories add up but there are more reasons than just calories to avoid constantly graving graving (laughs) Create grazing. (laughs) Grazing is the word I'm looking for. So having eating windows, or periods of time where you're eating, periods of time where you're not eating, reduces distraction, increases concentration, and simply increases the amount that you do. So if you're not constantly eating, you get a lot more done. You'll probably notice this. If you decide at the end of this podcast to give this a try, you will probably notice that your productivity increases. That's because food prep takes time, even making a cup of tea takes time and it may seem inconsequential in the moment, but it certainly is a distraction and it kind of adds up in three ways. One, you've got the thinking about should I have a bit of protein bar and a cup of tea, which is what I'm just having right now, and it kind of like bargaining with yourself, will I have that or will I just wait until dinner? Like that takes up mental brain capacity whereas if i'd said well i'm fasting i would have started this podcast 20 minutes ago the second thing is that it takes time to prep the food to eat the food and to tidy up after the food the third thing is the time it takes you to then get back into whatever you were doing so back to the task that you were doing and get your head back into that as well so what I've anecdotally found is that I'm far, far, far more productive when I fast. I used to fast up until about lunchtime and then I'd have my first meal at lunchtime. Then I started having breakfast and the reason for that is because I wanted to build a bit of muscle and there's, I mean, there's a couple of reasons for this. One, there's decent research to show that um, it's important to have protein in the morning in terms of muscle protein synthesis and two, Makes rational sense, right? That you're getting in another protein serving in the morning after a prolonged fast overnight. So that's the reason I now have breakfast. What I have found about having breakfast in terms of productivity is if you have the same thing, so you're not faffing around, like there's a little bit of faff, you still have to make it, you still have to tidy up and you still have to eat it, but you don't have as much decision fatigue around it because you're like, this is what I'm having for breakfast, it ticks all the boxes. And honestly, at that point, I'm eating for function as opposed to for enjoyment, where the weekend might be slightly different. So you can kind of get around some of the disruptions to productivity. If you are someone who has always fasted in the morning, then you've decided, actually, I really want to build some muscle and it might not be conducive to be fasting in the morning. Another interesting potential benefit to fasting is increased brown adipose tissue. So brown adipose tissue and when I say adipose tissue it's a fancy way of saying fat which is a little bit more scientifically correct than just saying fat but anyway brown fat is what we'll call it is more metabolically active than white fat or white adipose tissue meaning that it contributes more to your basal metabolic rate because it produces heat And that contributes to your energy expenditure. So we tend to have less of this brown fat as adults because the the use of it essentially is to produce heat. And as adults that wear clothes and live in houses and are rarely exposed to cold temperatures for long periods of time, we don't need that. So the most potent um, contributor to brown fat or thing that stimulates more brown fat is... Cold exposure. So, fasting also does this to a slightly lesser extent. And that could, in theory, have a small benefit. As in, you are expending more energy. Thus, if you ate the same, you would be in a bigger deficit. Now, caveat to this is it would be a very small effect. And I think this is something that comes up a lot. And that is essentially people not looking at hello. Sorry, I lost everyone, and I don't know why. My computer's being a bit funny. I also spoke to myself for about five minutes there. Anyway, I think what I was saying is that people don't look at the effect size. They might read something, and it might say, fasting increases brown fat, and brown fat is metabolically active. And metabolically active tissue contributes to energy expenditure. Higher energy expenditure means if I eat the same amount of calories, I will be in a bigger deficit, thus fasting is better for fat loss that is a huge leap what people need to consider is how many more calories am i actually burning if i've slightly increased the amount of brown fat i have due to fasting and my like i'm willing to bet my house on the fact it's probably less than 50 calories a day if you're very strict with it so it's it's not going to be the difference between losing a load of weight and not losing a load of weight a very small effect and I think you know anyone listening to this please be savvy to that if you ever see anything that's like another good example is if you do HIIT training you'll keep burning calories for the rest of the day and you'll just melt away the fat right okay how many more calories will I be burning for the rest of the day and when you look at the effect of EPOC excess post excess post oxygen consumption from exercise then you realize it's actually a very small effect And unfortunately, and this is one I, I, you know, I dislike, but it's true. Another claim is that if you have more muscle mass, you will burn more calories. And then that's why you should be building more muscle, because it will be so much easier to diet, because you'll just be this calorie burning machine. Unfortunately, you know, building a decent amount of muscle extra. I did the maths on this once and now I can't remember it. But it was looking at something like quite an impressive increase in muscle mass what equated to about an extra 50 calories a day, which is like, oh, okay, you can have maybe most of a small apple extra. Like, enjoy that. That's that's not the reason that you see these people on Instagram who are like, I eat 3,000 calories a day to maintain my weight. No, what they're doing is either A, lying, B, expending 3,000 calories, C, also taking potentially Clen or something, um, or D, they are eating 3,000 calories, they aren't expending 3,000 calories, but they haven't yet put on the body fat. So if I ate 3,000 calories today, I would look exactly the same as I do now, I would just be in a surplus for one day. If I did that continuously for like two weeks, then you would probably start to see a difference in my physique. Because I'm not burning 3,000 calories. I've gone slightly off on a tangent, anyway... I'm not going to go too sciencey on this, but another topic that comes up quite a lot is fasting and cancer. And one of the reasons for this is that fasting also reduces mTOR, which is a, a marker of cell growth. And mTOR is linked to cancer, which is uncontrolled cell growth. Now, mTOR is linked to you know, negative uncontrolled cell growth, which is cancer, but also to healthy cell growth, which we want. So actually building muscle will also increase mTOR. And it's a little too simplistic to say that mTOR is bad because it's linked to cancer. So if you, if you ever hear sort of those links between the, between cancer and fasting, that might be just something to consider that it's, you know, in some situations it may be useful. I'm not saying it never is, but certainly speak to your oncologist about that and certainly, certainly do not like listen to anyone on Instagram who is not medically trained, even if they are actually, I've seen very dubious um, information from medical doctors, like definitely follow your oncologist's advice and I I have had a lot of experience in this area due to previous work Um, and I think people get rightly so frustrated that maybe their oncologist hasn't given them enough information about diet and one of the reasons for that is there just isn't very much conclusive evidence to suggest going keto or doing fasting and so that's why they won't suggest it. Okay, moving on. Now for some of the practicalities, which I maybe should have started with, but this is this is the great part about fasting. To get some of these benefits you really don't have to be extreme. So Going for something like an eight-hour eating window is a pretty good aim. And this might look like 11am till 7pm. Like, I think that's usually quite a good um, space. But again, it can work for you. So it could be like 10am to 6pm, or it could be 12 till 8, or, you know, whatever. It needs to be eight hours. the The other consideration is I would also suggest not eating right before bedtime so you know if it's 8 p.m and you go to bed at like 10 11 fine if it's 7 p.m and then you're going to bed sort of two to three hours later perfect so consider that a little bit as well that might help you with where you want that window to be but i guess i would try and make it as practical as possible if you're like yeah 12 till 8 works because my partner gets home from work at seven and i have dinner with them at quarter past seven and then i normally stop eating by eight so that's perfect if you were doing a 10 to a 6, you'd be like, well, that means every night I can't eat with my partner. Like, be realistic and get it to fit around your life. Um, and so then you can kind of see that this mode of fasting anyway, like an eight hour eating window, isn't actually that restrictive. Like you're probably pushing your breakfast back a couple of hours. And yeah, you, you don't need to, you don't need to make it more extreme than that. And the reason that this is so effective for fat loss is, how many points do I have here? Four? I I think, I initially, let's I wrote some notes on this. And it says, the reason this is so effective for fat loss is twofold. There are now, what I can see, five bullet points. Okay, well, that's standard by me. Okay, number one. Sorry, I don't know why why I just coughed in everyone's ears. I could have paused the podcast, but... I didn't. And I'm going on with point number one. One of the reasons it's effective is it simply limits the time that you spend eating. I know, shocking, truly shocking. But this does mean that you are less likely to overeat. And eight hours is quite a good aim here because shorter windows tend to cause overeating or maybe even like eating past the as there's almost like too much restriction if you're like oh, I've only got four hours to eat I'm going to try and cram in loads of food no whereas eight hours seems to be for most people a bit of a sweet spot where they're not they don't feel over restricted because actually it's quite a large eating window but there's just enough restriction that it means you're you're probably not going to overeat and that you're not eating outside of those times is useful as well both from that behavioural standpoint and the metabolic standpoint as well. Number two is decision fatigue. So we often make poorer food choices in the evening because we're tired, because we're hungry, because honestly, because we have more time. Sometimes we're bored, sometimes we're emotional, sometimes we're alone. Like all of these things contribute. And like, you know, a good example of this might be, are you more likely to overeat at 8am or at 8pm? that, like, that, I feel like that's just point proven. The third reason is that you can create a deficit with intermittent fasting without tracking calories, and shocking again, some people do not like tracking calories, and kind of back to my point at the start of as much as it can be annoying to people when someone's like, I intermittent fast, I don't, I'm not in a calorie deficit and I'm losing body fat, like, okay, technically, Steve, you That, no, that's not happening. But on the flip side, if you feel like that and you're getting results, that's probably quite a good thing. Like, you don't feel over-restricted. Your adherence is good and you're getting the results that you want. That's, you know, apart from not understanding the science behind it, that's probably a good thing. The reason when that becomes not so much of a good thing is if you invited Steve for brunch at 9am and he was like, sorry, I can't come. I don't break my fast until 12. That like not being able to give yourself that leeway on occasion and not understanding that actually the results that you've got aren't because you're not eating until 12. They're actually because you're in a deficit and you could still be in a deficit even if you started eating at 9am, for example. So that's why understanding the why gives you that bit more freedom. Uh, number four is that constraints are really useful, and the reason that they're so useful is it stops you bargaining with yourself. So instead of going back and forth in your head all night about if you'll have that extra bit of pudding or or oh, should I have some toast before bed or like thinking about food or being oh, maybe I'm a little bit hungry. You just draw a line and you stop eating at X time. Maybe that's 7 p.m. You make that decision once and you stick to it. And then you keep it as a rule and you don't go back on it because it's a promise that you've made to yourself. And the more you do that, the easier it gets. Like the first week might be quite hard, but after that it gets so, so, so much easier. And people tend not to work through that because they have this idea in their head that if it's hard now, it will only get harder. And the exact opposite is true. Once you start doing these things and it becomes a routine, it actually becomes easier and easier and easier. It's almost like most people don't have to, you know, try hard not to wake up in the night and go and eat when they go to the toilet. It doesn't even cross their mind. Much like at some point, you know, at the moment, you might be like, well, after dinner, I just sit on the couch and we eat. Okay, the first couple of nights when you don't do that and you have your dinner and then you say, right, at 7pm, I'm not going to eat anymore. The first couple of nights will be quite hard because you're used to that because it's become a habit, it's part of your routine. But as you build a new routine, it will become completely normal not to sit on the couch and eat at night. So work through that. Like, again, the first one or two weeks might be quite tough. That's why I say if you're going to give something a go, give it a go for at least two weeks. I would prefer 30 days, but at least two weeks. Worst case scenario, you build a bit of self-confidence, a bit of, like, proof that you can be disciplined and that's actually really helpful for the way that you view yourself as well. So anyway, um you may think that you like choice, but actually we tend to do quite poorly with choice and with too much flexibility, which is why people find flexible dieting so hard is because there's so much choice and there's so much flexibility and there's so much ability to bargain with yourself. And that's why I always suggest that, you know, flexible dieting is incredible, but also having some structure and discipline in place makes the whole process easier. An example of us not really liking choice is think about how hard you find it to choose somewhere for dinner when there are so many options or when you're looking on Netflix for something to watch and there's so many options. You're like, oh, I don't know what to pick. And you spend ages looking for something whereas when someone else picks for you saw you for you you kind of breathe a sigh of relief and you're like oh I'm glad that someone else chose and I'm more than happy to go along with that but I didn't want to make the choice myself part of that I think is regret the potential for you to regret Um, and part of it's just because we actually like I said don't really like choice as much as we think that we do or With the going out for dinner option, how much better is it when someone is like, you've got one of two choices, we're going here or here, you decide. As opposed to, you can go anywhere you want, like it's too much, it's too many choices. So we do a lot better with fewer choices, especially when our minds are tired after a long day, i.e. if you tell yourself that you stop eating at 7pm, you're less likely to make four four poor food choices after 7pm. Okay, the fifth point is that there are physiological and behavioral benefits to sticking to a certain pattern of eating. So, your body loves routine, it has its own circadian rhythm, and the more consistent you can be with when you eat, and when you sleep, and when you view sunlight, the better. So, not only from a stance of just getting into good habits and into good routines, but also from a stance of your body works better when you are consistent with when you're eating in terms of hormonal regulations and many other biological processes. Plus, if you're in a routine, it takes far less discipline and cognitive effort to do the behaviours that you want to do. So in that sense, routine makes it much easier for you to stick to your diet. Now, I think another point of why I think fasting is so beneficial is that you are much more likely to stick to something that has some kind of rationale behind it. I think, again, it's one of the reasons that people struggle a little bit with flexible dieting. Of course, there's a rationale behind that and the crux of it is being a deficit. But understanding why you're doing something and actually the thing that you're doing, having some form of constraints, i.e. eating between two time points, and you seeing the benefits or understanding the benefits of doing that makes you so much more likely to stick to it. And again, that comes back to adherence, which we know is so important when dieting. In fact, it is the most important thing. And I think it's very easy on a surface level. And honestly, if you don't consider behavioural science and human behaviour and our response to things and choice overload and the way that we make decisions and the fact that we are not rational human beings, it's very easy to assume that you would get the best results and the best adherence from flexible dieting. But when you work with a lot of people, when you study behavioural science, when you think about why we make decisions and how we make decisions, you start to realise that actually that might not be the best approach for everyone. Or, and I guess more to my point here, it may not be the best approach alone to everyone. That's not saying that forget about the calorie deficit or forget about your ability to be flexible with what you eat and when you eat and all of this. But it is to consider that actually a bit of routine, a bit of discipline and a bit of structure is absolutely going to help you from a behavioural standpoint. And to my point about understanding why, I think there was a really, I don't know if it was like Aristotle or Plato or I don't know, some kind of prophet level person who said something along the lines of, if you have a why, you can stand anyhow. That? No, wait. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Essentially, if you know why you're doing something, essentially, you're much more likely to follow through with it. And there's loads of research to suggest this is the case as well. And I think anecdotally, people can probably um, resonate with that a little bit. If I understand why I'm doing something, I'm much more likely to do it. Or even if I think there's a reason behind doing something, I'm much more likely to do it. And actually, the reverse of that was often used as torture for people. So, oh man, I can't remember now. But there was a Greek myth. Is it Thanos? No, maybe he was the guy with the carrying the the cow, wasn't he? Anyway, this person was this god, this Greek god, had done something bad. This is such a great story. Everyone buckle in. Can't wait to tell this story to these ch- child children. Who knows when I'm Auntie Emma and I'm like telling great stories. There was someone, right? Potentially a Greek god. Did something bad. Can't remember what it was. Probably stole someone's wife or something. And he was banished to forever pushing this boulder up a hill and it rolling back down again. And he just had to push it up and it rolled back down, push it up and rolled back down. Basically a thankless, pointless task. And actually in German concentration camps, they did the same thing. They had prisoners move sacks of salt from one side of the camp to the other side of the camp and at the end of the day they'd say move those sacks back to the other side of the camp like there was literally no point doing that they put in so much effort to do it and then there was no point in doing it whatsoever and on a (laughs) on a much smaller scale there's some interesting behavioral science research that shows that uh, what were they doing they were getting people to make lego models And if the researcher immediately dismantled the model and said, do you want to make it again? They were like, no, I don't want to make it again. You just dismantled what I did. Whereas if they were allowed to just stack them up, they would make much, much more. Now, I didn't tell you this part, but they get paid to make each one. And the study was about when will people give up? Would they, you know, if the financial incentive was the same, would they give up? When this model was being dismantled right in front of their eyes, i.e. they'd see their work being taken apart, or would they um, would they be more likely to carry on if they saw their work stacking up? So kind of like if you're laying a brick on a wall, and then as soon as you lay it, you can see someone else is taking it off... Is that off-putting, even though you're actually getting paid the same amount to do that? And the answer is yes. People didn't continue for as long, even with the same financial incentive, if they could see their work was being dismantled. This has absolutely nothing to do with fasting. <laughs> oh, we're quite. I'm going on quite a lot of tangents today. Anyway, I hope that was useful. I'm sure it wasn't. Okay, I'm coming back. So I do have some notes here, so I don't really know why I've... That's happened. I'm gonna blame Level Up on the weekend. My brain's not in it today. Okay, um, what else do I need to say about intermittent fasting? Well, here is a quote from a review on the research on intermittent fasting, which says, "Intermittent fasting is generally safe and does not result in energy level disturbances or increased disordered eating behaviors." And I think that. That's an important point to make as well, because we often would assume that if you're restricting food in some ways or the timing of food in some ways, that actually that might increase the risk of things like binge eating. Now, I would still, even though that's what the research suggests, if you have ever struggled with or do struggle with binge eating, I would certainly not suggest intermittent fasting. Just putting that out there. Another caveat, another sort of situation where I probably wouldn't suggest it is... In relation to fertility, both men and women, um, I wouldn't have, I mean, eight hour feeding window isn't overly restricted, probably be totally fine. But I wouldn't have very short feeding windows. Um, And aside from that, just being sensible, like if you do have those sort of thoughts about binging or you find that actually restricting your meals like that or your eating window like that is causing you to... Have a reduced, a poorer relationship with food, I guess, or is making you think of binging, then I certainly would stop this experiment. But if you do want to try this and you aren't someone who struggled with binge eating, then, or an eating disorder, then practical advice for this would be in my opinion, do it for 30 days before you decide if it's working or not. It will take a while for you to form a routine. And for you to start to feel the benefit, so push through that first seven to fourteen days, the first sort of two week period. I would suggest an eight hour eating window is is pretty sensible, and you'll get most of the benefits from that, which I don't think is particularly over restricted, restrictive. I not well. I used to do this twelve till eight. Uh, I think for most people, eleven till seven works, but obviously make it work around your life and how you eat and maybe what time your breaks are or what time you have dinner with the family, et cetera, et cetera. Um, cetera. And I would say, as much as I'm like, flexibility is really important, like it is really important, but if you really want to get the benefits from this, I would try not to move that fasting window. So don't be like, hmm, one day I'm going to do 10 till 6, and then the next day I'll do 12 till 8. Like part of the benefit of this is that you are consistent and your circadian rhythm is regulated partly by how when you eat as well. So you want all these things to stay in line. If you keep moving your eating window, then that will also disrupt the the harmony between your eating and your circadian rhythm, which is one of the benefits to having these eating windows and one of the benefits to being more consistent with how and when you're eating so if you really want to get the benefits I would do that if you really really want to get the benefits on top of that I would also try to be consistent with when you're eating so not just this is my eating window but I also have lunch at roughly 1 p.m and I have dinner at roughly 6 p.m that kind of thing Um, again is going to really really help with the routine the consistency and what your body expects and is used to if you have any questions or if you are interested in coaching head to esgfitness.co.uk if you want to talk to me about this shoot me a message on instagram at esgfitness if you try it let me know how you get on i would love to hear thank you as ever for your time and attention if you want to talk to me about coaching or if you want to find out more about how to work with me head over to esgfitness.co.uk there is also lots of free information on the website and some worksheets which i hope you will find useful if you've enjoyed this episode i would love to hear from you please tag me in your stories at esg fitness or shoot me a message and if you think you know anyone who would enjoy this episode why not share it with them thanks guys